0: Well, good morning. Thanks for being here at LifePoint today. If you're here for the first time, please come down front and meet me afterwards. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. I would love to meet you, say hello, and hear a little bit about your journey and what brought you here to LifePoint. Also, some of the other pastors here will be down front uh, to meet you and answer any questions or talk to you about anything you want to talk about or pray or whatever your needs might be. Well, we're in the second week of a series called Summer at the Lake. Anybody spend time at the lake this summer? Good. It's fun, isn't it? It's great. Well, Jesus spent a lot of time around a lake. It was called the Sea of Galilee because just like then or just like now, then people hung out around the water. So Jesus was hanging around the water, talking to people, teaching people, healing people, showing people his love. And so this summer, we're looking at all the things that Jesus did around this lake called the Sea of Galilee. And today you're going to hear from the lone lady on our teaching team. Her name is Cindy Whiteside. If you haven't met her, uh, she is a great spiritual leader in our church. She leads our one of our women's Bible studies. That'll get kicking up here later in the fall, and you can find out about that later. She is the wife of one of our elders, and she is a great communicator. So let me pray for Cindy as she comes out to share with us the second part of Summer at the Lake. God, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to be here, hear a message from your word, and may you open our minds and hearts as we listen to Cindy share with us one of the episodes of your son as he taught around the Sea of Galilee. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, Historically, when I have spoken here at the church, uh, either communion talk or the message, uh, there's a group of people that get really upset if I don't include at least one pun. So I'm just at the outset going to just add a couple in for that group of three to five people just to make sure that they're happy. Well, First of all, I just want to tell you, I'm really excited to be part of this Summer at the Lake series. And I told the pastors, you know, if attendance is down during this time, don't worry about it. It just means that Summer at the Lake. So... When Donnie came to me and floated the idea of teaching past me, I got on board right away because I love to just plunge the depths of what Jesus did when he was around the lake talking to people and teaching his disciples. The deep truths that he taught them on those days back then are still relevant for you and me today because when you get right down to it, we're all in the same boat, right? So with all this talk about the lake, I'm sure you're thinking, what are we going to talk about today? Well, this morning we are going to go back to the lake called the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to look at this passage of scripture that, that happens between two pretty big famous miracles that Jesus did. It's kind of a little story in between two flashy miracles. But I believe that there are big things that we can learn from this little story in the Bible. So you're going to want to have a Bible. If you didn't bring one today, the ushers have some. If you don't have a Bible, please take one home. Take it. It's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a Bible. Or if you just need to borrow it this morning, you can return it at the back when you're done. Well, the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were um, are descriptions of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So because they're about the same subject, sometimes... Stories are repeated, and it's almost like reading a newspaper article, different newspaper articles, about the same story. You know how one reporter might list a, a few uh, more details than another or write from a different perspective than the other? Well, that's kind of how it is with these four books of the Bible. So this morning, we're going to draw from two of those books. We're going to be looking at Matthew 14 and Mark 6, and we're going to look at this day in the life of Jesus and his disciples and find out some things that Jesus did and didn't do around the lake. So first of all, we're going to look at a miracle that you may have heard of whether or not you've ever been in church in your life before. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. So here's the backstory. story, Jesus' 12 disciples had just returned from a ministry assignment and his disciples were his closest followers, it was this group of 12 that served with him and spent a lot of time with him, well they'd just gotten back from this ministry assignment and they were exhausted, they needed some rest. So the problem was, however, that word was getting out about this amazing teacher and healer named Jesus, so there were crowds following them everywhere they went. They They were so busy that it says they didn't even have time to eat. Ever been there? I know when our boys were small, I remember there were some times as a young mom that I would get so frazzled that I would actually lock myself in the bathroom when it wasn't biologically necessary, if you know what I mean, um, just to try to get some alone time. But that usually didn't work because I believe that there is some force in the universe that when a parent locks the bathroom door, it causes that parent to suddenly become extremely popular and very much in demand. Well, that's how it was for Jesus and his disciples. They were popular, they were in demand, and there were always people trying to get close to them. This was stressful, as you can imagine, because it was hard for them to kind of get away and regroup. So Jesus invited his disciples. He said, let's go away to a quiet place where we can get some rest. So they got in a boat and tried to make their way to a little retreat in a remote place. But the crowd did not retreat because they weren't remotely interested in leaving them alone. So they figured out where they were going and when the boat landed, it, the Bible says there were 5,000 men plus women and children, so maybe up to 20,000 people waiting for them when their boat landed. So I wonder what the disciples thought. I mean, they were exhausted. They needed to get away. They had been invited on a spiritual retreat with the most amazing teacher who ever walked the earth, and now they, they thought they had this exclusive invitation, but they realized really quickly that that was an inclusive invitation because there were enough people standing on the shore waiting for them to fill the PNC arena. Can you imagine how they felt? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what their reaction was, but it does tell us how Jesus responded. It says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. So I was wondering, why were all those people there? I mean, it wasn't convenient. Jesus didn't have a bus ministry. Jesus didn't have a a really nice church with a coffee bar and padded seats for the people to sit in. So why would 20,000 people travel on foot just to get a glimpse of Jesus? Well, maybe they showed up for some of the same reasons you and I showed up here today. You know, maybe some of them really, really wanted to learn more about Jesus. Maybe some of them were dragged there by their spouse or their parents or their teenagers. Maybe some of them had heard that Jesus could heal and do miracles, and they came because they wanted to be changed. Maybe some people came because they just wanted to be entertained. And there might have even been some in the crowd who couldn't even tell you why they were there. They had no clue why they were there. But no matter why they were there, Jesus was not annoyed by them. He had compassion on them because when he looked at all those people, he didn't just see the crowd. He saw their needs. No matter what their motivation was for being there, Jesus knew that they needed to be taught and guided and healed and taken care of. He had compassion on them, and what was true for them that day is true for us this day. Jesus knows what we really need No matter where we are, no matter what our motives are, whether they're pure or selfish, no matter what we've done, Jesus looks at you and me through eyes of love, and he knows exactly what we need. Sometimes we need healing. Sometimes we need guidance. Sometimes we need correction because we're going the wrong way. Sometimes our needs are spiritual. Sometimes our needs are physical. Sometimes we don't even know what we need, but we can be sure that Jesus knows us better than anybody else, and he knows what we really need. So what did Jesus do? Did he feel sad about their situation for a moment and then go on about his retreat? Did he tell the disciples, you guys go take care of them, I'm going to rest on the boat a bit? Did he make a note to maybe later make a tax-deductible donation to some charity organization so that they could meet the people's needs? No, Jesus immediately took action because not only does he know what we really need, Jesus wants to be the one who meets our needs. As soon as he got off the boat, Jesus started meeting needs. He was teaching, he was healing, he was loving on people, and he did that all day long. As the day wore on, I can almost see the disciples back there looking at their watches or their sundials or whatever they used back then. And you know, the day got long, and, and after a while, they decided they'd just better go up to Jesus and you know remind him. So they said, "Hey Jesus, you know we're out in the boonies. There is not a bojangles anywhere near here. Dominoes." does not deliver out this far. So why don't we send these nice people on home to eat and then we can get on with that little vacay we talked about this morning? Well, Jesus had other plans. Instead of getting rid of the hungry people, Jesus wanted to get rid of the people's hunger. So he miraculously turned five loaves of bread and two fish into more than enough food to feed everybody. So the 12 disciples ended up serving all the people, and then they ended up cleaning up after them. Well, as you can imagine, the crowd was mightily impressed by this all-you-can-eat fish buffet, and they were so impressed, in fact, that they wanted to make Jesus their king. I mean, you can't blame them, right? Who wouldn't want a king who loves you, who heals your diseases, who teaches you life-changing truths, and miraculously can stretch your grocery budget to where you could feed your entire family with a can of tuna and a couple slices of bread for a year? I mean, you can't blame the people. But Jesus hadn't come to be their political leader. Jesus had come to be their spiritual leader. Remember, he knew what they really needed, and they didn't need a king. He knew they needed a savior. So this is what he did. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. So Jesus said, Bon voyage, to his disciples. He said, See you later, to the crowd. And then he goes up on the hillside to pray by himself. And when the disciples first took off in the boat, it looked like smooth sailing. But something that happens at the Sea of Galilee a lot... um, is that it is prone to having sudden, violent storms. And I don't mean to go all Greg Fischel on you or anything, but here's kind of what happens in a nutshell. What happens is, especially in the evenings, the warm air rises from the water, and then cold air comes over the east mountains. And when that heavier cold air comes in, it starts to sink, and the warm air is rising... And when they hit, a storm erupts. And it looks like that may have been what happened that night. Because it says later that night, the boat was in the middle the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, we already said that Jesus knows what we need and that Jesus wants to be the one that meets our needs, right? So we would expect that the very next scripture would be something like, seeing that his followers were in trouble, Jesus immediately went to their rescue, right? Well, that's where this story gets pretty interesting. Okay, it says, you know, Jesus saw what was going on. He knew they were having trouble out there. He saw the waves that were crashing against their boats. So what did he do? Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, we might be so amazed by the fact that Jesus was walking on the lake, walking on water, that we might miss that that first part of the sentence. So let's go back. Okay. Jesus had sent them out right after dinner, right? Okay. It was supposed to be about a four-hour trip from one side of the lake to the other. Jesus saw them having trouble in the storm, it says, later that night, right? So Now we see in this verse that he didn't go out to them until shortly before dawn. So that means the disciples might have been out on that water maybe eight or ten hours, and they were still in the middle of the lake getting absolutely nowhere. So I wonder what was going through their minds as they rode and rode and strained against the wind. I wonder as the night got longer and the wind got stronger and the waves got higher, what were the disciples thinking? Maybe they, maybe they were thinking, you know, if Jesus had taken our advice... We would have sent that crowd away to eat, and we could have all been in the boat, and we could have gotten across the lake long before this storm ever kicked up. And if we hadn't had to serve all those people and clean up after them, we could be in the middle of an awesome spiritual retreat right about now. But here they were, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm, and Jesus Jesus wasn't with them. They had to have been wondering, why isn't Jesus coming to rescue us? Why isn't he at least calm in the storm? I mean, we saw him do that before. He just has to speak. And, and, and what about, you know, he, he fed a whole crowd of people with a star-kissed lunch kit and a little bit of miracle whip, so why can't he whip out a little miracle for us? We're his faithful followers that had to be going through their minds. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in the midst of a storm in your life and it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be found? Maybe you're there right this minute. Maybe you feel the wind pushing against your life and you feel the waves crashing in your life and you're rowing as hard as you can trying to get somewhere, anywhere, except where you are right now. Well... If you're wondering where Jesus is, if you're wondering why Jesus isn't doing something about your situation, I want to encourage you to take hope, because Jesus really does know what you need, and Jesus really does want to be the one to meet that need. You know, I was thinking, when the storm first started, the disciples might have thought, you know, we got this. They might not have thought they even needed any help from Jesus. After all, four of their group were seasoned fishermen. They had pretty much grown up on the water, and all of them were local guys, so they knew what the Sea of Galilee was like. So maybe at first, they just kind of depended on their experience and their expertise to get them through the storm. However, as the night grew longer and the storm got more difficult, they had to have gotten exhausted. They'd been rowing all this time. Plus, they served all those people out in the hot sun. They had to be tired. And you know what I wondered was, did it occur to them to call out to Jesus for help? I looked in all the the Gospels, and I couldn't find any indication that they actually called out and asked Jesus for help. Maybe they were so busy trying to make it on their own that they didn't even think of it, or maybe they were complaining to each other about why in the world Jesus wasn't coming to help them that they didn't even think to take the time to ask him to help them. Sometimes that happens. You know, we get so caught up in our circumstances sometimes that we don't even think to do the most obvious thing. God's Word tells us to share one another's burdens, and, and usually we're pretty good at that. We, we tell each other what's going on, but sometimes we talk to anyone and everyone except the one who can actually do something about our situation. But even at that, it's clear that Jesus saw them, so why didn't he immediately calm the sea or come to their rescue? Perhaps it's because he knew that they were going to face far more difficult storms in the days and months and years ahead, so perhaps he was giving them this opportunity to get through this storm so that they could become a little stronger to face the bigger storms that he knew were coming in their lives. Because, you know, after all, we don't get stronger by just sitting around doing nothing. My husband and I are trying to get fit and more strong, so we've been doing some bike riding. And, you know, the terrain around here is pretty flat, but there are some hills. I am not a fan of hills. One reason I'm not a fan is because the sight of me going up hills on a bike is not a pretty sight. I mean, I am sweating and and, and I'm gasping for breath and praying for God to help me and even telling myself, don't give up, keep pedaling. Sometimes I do that out loud and it can be a little awkward when someone's actually passing me on the left and... I've had, had a guy look at me and say, on your left, lady, you know, like weird woman. Well, the sight of me pedaling up a hill will not remind you of the Tour de France. It's more like the Tour de French toast because I am toast by the time I get to the top. But I have learned a few things about biking uphill. First of all, I've learned that I need to reserve some energy when I'm on flat land so that I'll still have some energy left when I see that steep slope sign ahead. And when I see that sign, I need to go ahead and gear my bike to the right place where it's going to be easier for me to go up that hill. Pedaling uphill is hard, but what I have found is it really does make me stronger because what I've learned is that when I do it, when I gasp and pray and, and wheel myself up that hill one day, the next day it's a lot easier to take that same hill. And the next week it's even easier because pedaling uphill makes me stronger. Well, these hill climbing experiences are a lot, a lot like how things are in our life. Sometimes we just coast along and everything's fine and we have hardly a care in the world. But then we see, we see that steep slope sign and we realize that we're in for a struggle. And that's when we need to get ready. We need to, to gear up with prayer and we need to push forward and pray for courage not to give up. And interestingly, what we discover is that once we have made it through a difficult time, we are better prepared to deal with the next difficulty that comes along. We gain wisdom and strength as we go through life's storms. James tells us that the testing of our faith develops perseverance so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we can look back and realize that we have made it through a difficult time, it gives us strength and hope and courage to face the next struggle because we can say with confidence, God got me through that, so I believe God is going to get me through this. Perhaps that's one reason that Jesus didn't rush out to rescue his disciples the minute he saw them fighting against the waves. He knew what they really needed. They needed strength. They even needed to learn how to rely on each other, to encourage each other, and to work together to get through difficulties because the day was coming when Jesus was going to go to the cross. He would no longer be with them in the flesh. He was preparing them for the future time when he was going to go to the cross and die and then rise again, and then he was going to ascend, not up to a mountain to pray, but to heaven to be with his Father. So he knew they needed to learn to face the difficulties of life by faith. And he loved them far too much to leave them unprepared for what was ahead. Well, the disciples might have felt like Jesus wasn't doing anything, but as he sat on that mountainside, Jesus was watching them and he was praying. And I believe he was praying for them, talking to his father about them, because Romans 8.34 tells us that Christ Jesus, who died for us, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, the word intercede is a present tense verb that means to pray, to speak to someone on someone else's behalf. So the way I like to think of Jesus interceding for me is that, that Jesus is at the right hand of Father God, and he looks at his father and he says, look at our girl Cindy down there. She is really having a rough time. I know that we could just pick her right up out of this difficult situation, but she is going to get so much stronger and learn so much more if we see her through this. And it's causing her to talk to us a whole lot more, and she's reaching out to some of our other kids for prayer and support, so that's good. So let's just keep our eye on her and keep her safe in this storm as we give her strength to make it through it. When I'm struggling, it gives me great peace to know that Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is talking to his Father about me and my situation. Well, Jesus was watching his disciples the entire time from his vantage point on the mountain as he prayed to his Father. And although he didn't come to their rescue right away, they were in his sight and under his care the entire time. Jesus knew what they needed Jesus cared about their needs, and at just the right time, Jesus went to meet their needs in a spectacular way that makes it very clear that our greatest need is to really know Jesus. At just the right time, Jesus came to their rescue. At the darkest time, just before dawn, he came to them. He could have calmed the storm from back on the mountain. All he had to say was, peace, be still. The storm would have been gone. But he chose to go to them and to reveal himself to them in a way they'd never before experienced him. He walked to them on the water in the midst of the storm. I don't think he was trying to show off his awesome surf moves. I believe Jesus was showing his disciples who he really was. And if they hadn't gone through the storm... They would never have gotten the opportunity to see him walking on water. It's often in the darkest times that we get to see Jesus most clearly. The disciples probably thought their greatest need was to get to the other side, to just survive this. But Jesus' goal was for them to know who he really was. You'd think they'd have known by now they'd been with him, they'd been serving him, they'd been hanging out with him and learning from him, but it looks to me like not until the disciples went through this storm, not until they had seen Jesus walk on the water, not until they'd felt the wind stop the minute he stepped into their boat, did they seem to know who Jesus really was because it says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly You are the Son of God. The disciples had known Jesus for quite some time now. They knew him as teacher. They knew him as healer. But on this dark night, they saw him more clearly so they could know beyond a doubt that he was the Son of God. And they really needed to know this because the time was coming when he was going to the cross. And these were the people that he had chosen to spread the message so that ultimately you and I could hear about what Jesus has done for us. So they needed to know he was far more than a good man. He was far more than a good teacher or a healer or a miracle worker. He was the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. The greatest need that the disciples had is the very same need that you and I have. It's not enough to know about Jesus. If we really want to know him, We must personally choose to believe that He is the Son of God who came to take away your sin and my sin. Our greatest need is to know Jesus, and Jesus gave His life to meet that need. So now it's up to us. Do you know Him? Have you chosen to believe that He is the Son of God who came to die for your sins? If you want to talk about that more later, some pastors and I will be up here and we would love to talk with you and we would love to pray with you about that after the service. If the winds of adversity are tossing around your life, I want you to be assured that Jesus sees and Jesus cares. If you're in a place of peril, be assured that he is in a place of prayer, talking to his Father about you and your situation. If you feel battered by the storms of life, call out to Jesus and invite him into the middle of your storm. Your biggest problem does not intimidate Jesus in the least. The same Jesus who walked on top of the waves then will walk on top of the most difficult circumstances in your life as he makes his way to you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you do know our needs and you care about our needs and you are fully able to meet our needs. I pray for the person in this room this morning who's experiencing a storm. I pray that you will give them comfort and encouragement and peace and remind them that you are with them, you are praying for them, you are interceding. We thank you so much for that truth and we just give you glory and praise this morning. Amen.